This episode of Required Reading, a film podcast, is brought to you by um, two guys, uh, some computers, and a bit of recording software, and a couple of mics, and that is it. out there um welcome to the second soft moral episode of required reading a film that podcast. soft moral are you soft trying another moral, soft moral thing. tried another one yeah good. like it <laughs> um uh the second episode um thank you if you are joining us for the first time if you're joining us for the second time can't be the third it's impossible we are a um podcast between two Friends trying to capture the feeling and opinions and get down have a discussion about a, a movie. And we have a little manifesto that we're all going to go through. But first, I'd like to introduce you uh, to Dan, the 50% of this podcast. Hello. 50 cents of this podcast. Um, <laughs> and I'm the Dr. Dre, obviously. We are going to be discussing a film called The Cloverfield Paradox. Mm. Um, very uh, zeitgeisty, uh, quick release, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but first, I thought we might go through our manifesto just quickly for yeah, to get every, everyone. Go, go, go. So, um, the rules, the manifesto of the composition, if you will, of our podcast is that um, we're going to discuss films that uh, are chosen either from Netflix or Amazon Video. As a way of creating a low barrier of entry, everyone we feel can pretty much get hold of these releases, um, uh, releases on these services. Um, they're becoming more and more relevant for a number of reasons. Um, are you a parent, young family, can't get to the cinema as much as you could do? I think everyone across the board kind of can get hold of these services. So we decided to keep it to that, which sort of helps us again twofold with recording we don't have to do stuff that specifically maybe came out that week uh, even though it happened just so happens that we're releasing it. we were talking about a film that was just released but um and we've got some others planned coming up that probably will be around that time so yeah that's the first one um we're going to let you know uh, on twitter um via at uh, mr pointy head and at alex 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 uh, without the e um, three times uh, so you have the time to watch it beforehand uh, so w- hopefully when you're listening to this you will fully have your own thoughts and opinions on the movie so we can discuss it in full um, and uh, we don't have to worry about the dreaded S word um, share your thoughts and questions uh, for us to discuss we've had some this week pretty happy about that thank you very much for sending them in we're going to include um, all of them um and uh similarly as well as talking about the film we're talking about this time talk to us about what film you think we should do it's um you already know the rules uh, of 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 how we where we're choosing them from but 
give us a suggestion. Maybe it's based on this film. Maybe it has an actor from this film in it. Maybe it's something that is a bit of a sort of a deep cut or whatever the film version of that is, um, a needle drop or a Blu-ray insert or whatever the, whatever the term is for a uh, suggestion <laughs> um, and tell us why you chose it. And, um, and then, of course, to reiterate that we're going to talk through a whole film, what happens at the end, um, its connections to other films, that, you know, if it's in a series. So make sure that you watch before you listen. Um, I think yeah. that's it. Because if you do listen to it and then complain that you had the film spoiled for you, then you will be hung by the neck until dead. Until dead. Um, and yeah, as explained, we have gone for the Cloverfield Paradox. It replaced what we talked about on our last episode. So if we were going to either talk about Good Time or Personal Shopper, I think we'll put that back because at the time of recording, we, we hadn't did not know anything about the Cloverfield Paradox. Nobody knew. It was released. It was um, a Super Bowl trailer mm-hmm. and they did the uh, quintessential... Um, and by the way, it's available. It's under your seat right now. It's, it's available now, which um, is very familiar to... You get uh, a Cloverfield Paradox. You get a Cloverfield Paradox. Everybody gets a Cloverfield Paradox, um, which... Um, Asterisk requires Netflix subscription. That's something I suppose we, should, we, we can kind of get into now. There are two schools of thought about the way that these movies are coming out now. This is a movie that has come direct to us. It's circumnavigated, going to the cinema, all the promotion required, which I think it would be unfair to say that Cloverfield is is a series of films that hasn't embraced that in the past. Mm-hmm. The first film in it sort of had a variety of ways of... of of promoting it from blog posts from the characters as though they were real. Yeah. The trailer came completely unannounced. No one knew what it was about. It was for, it was on the Transformers, first Transformers movie, um, which no one ever knew about. And it was, um, it just showed, didn't it? Wasn't it just showing a, and I'm thinking of the super eight trailer when it just showed like a train carriage bursting. No, this one was the, um, was the establishment of the found footage. It was the party yes. and the going outside. And then we got the image of the Statue of Liberty's head yes, on the road. That that and then it. it cut out and everyone was wondering what it was. And so them doing the whole quick announce of, oh, this, you know, this movie has come out. By the way, this, um, and I think it was... Um, God Particle. God Particle that they thought that everyone, that was the name of the film and it's sort of a well-established movie idea that you can uh, you give a fake name to your movie. But, um, Harvest back is the most Harvest famous one. This is the most famous one, isn't it? Um, and um, and yeah, that this this one has, has come straight to us. Uh, it's so hard not to have an opinion on this post-seeing the movie. I kind of was toying with the idea of trying to get you to record what you thought about releasing this before you had seen oh, it. Oh, I see. Um, so you could see afterwards, because I, I think, think I can cop. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? You think it's a good thing it was released this way? I think it's a it's a bold experiment. Um, as you say, there are certain aspects where it's hard to respond to it subjectively after you've seen it, because obviously then there come questions of its quality, whether it warranted marketing, and whether its move to Netflix wasn't so much one intended to surprise and delight the consumer 
as it was damage control. Um, but I do think that do, releasing it in this manner is sort of befitting the franchise because they've. It, it is sort of the bad robot thing, isn't it? They did mm. it with, like I say, they did it with the previous two Cloverfields in their own way, in the way they teased them. I guess in many ways, actually, Cloverfield Paradox is the complete opposite of that, where they haven't done any kind of clever um, ARGs or any kind of clever, you know, marketing that doesn't tell you or show you what the film's about. Mm. But I guess this is the ultimate culmination of that. It's like, if you really are trying to maintain any level of intrigue or mystery for a film, what better way than just springing it on an audience with yeah. literally no fanfare, no promotion, nothing. Just saying, here's a trailer, film's out now. Yeah, I suppose it's, it depends on how you come at it, isn't it? It's the system of trailers and teasers and it's like all these articles about what the movie is, they can only serve to, for a certain type of movie to, to ruin the surprise. Mm. There's so many, so many ideas now that key moments of trailers that if you haven't seen them in the movie, it ruins it mm-hmm. for you. And a, a real example for me, and I will keep harping back to this, is in the first um, Avengers trailer with Hulk uh, jumping up to the building and Cap catching uh, Iron Man and uh, dragging down the building. And I just thought it was an incredible moment. And by the, by the end of the movie, I had was actually thinking forefront of my mind, or oh, I haven't seen that bit yet. Oh, Iron Man is falling from the sky. Uh, like it just took that whole yeah. bit out of it. Because trailers the trailer. always do. They always go, oh, well, that bit hasn't happened mm. yet. Yeah. It, and, in uh, many ways, that's why I quite like the fact that the Rogue One trailer featured mm. so much footage, footage yeah. that wasn't in the film itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few games have done it. Um, I remember, I think it was the first demo of Resident Evil Revelations, I right. think. Um, sort of remixes the opening of the game, so you find items in different places mm. and things like that. So when you go back and when you actually go and play the game itself, yeah. you think, oh, I know this because I did it all in the demo but nothing's where it is in the demo. And I think it's, I think remixing things or at least doing some alternative shots in trailers is a very good way of... Rogue One's a really interesting one. Um, I think um, the director is... W- w- uh, there's a, a Director's Club podcast where directors interview themselves. Right. And he did one, uh, and he was talking about the trailer system and that basically the marketing department takes your dailies and picks these bits out, and they do... They do stay in contact with you saying what they're using, but ultimately it's not the director that has the choice. Yes. And so when they were choosing the TIE Fighter bit, which didn't make it to the final movie and other bits and pieces, um, it was completely out of his control. Um, ironically, the, one of the key moments of that trailer where she is in the in the corridor and she turns around, yes. that was a joke. That was a thing that they had recorded that they just thought the lighting looked cool. A guy had um, sat on the the lights and made them go off and was flicking them back on. Uh, Felicity turns around just to sort of see whether they were doing a shot and that part makes it into the yeah, trailer. Yeah, yeah. It's not in the movie. It's a mistake. It doesn't have any... There's also the line which I really hate in the trailer is that I'm a, I'm a rebel. I'm mm. rebel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think that made it through either. It doesn't make so. it in, yeah. It's quite interesting. Um, and also worth noting as well, and we'll talk about it in, in, in a little bit, but um, JJ's own trailer for The Force Awakens I thought was pretty notable in that it didn't really spoil. Like A lot of it was from early on in the film yes. or in parts that 
you didn't think were gonna uh, or, or parts that didn't actually really mean that much in yeah. the end like the the falcon going upside down that sort of key bit of the trailer it happens in like what the first like 20 minutes yeah, or yeah, something yeah. so you sort of feel that you can settle down and wait to see what else is coming up so jj is very aware of i could sign over whether your film's got a strong first act because you've got enough to pick out the first mm. act to make a you know an exciting trailer yeah. without spoiling anything that happens in the latter two acts then um You've probably you've probably got a fairly exciting film. Yeah, and I've, I've, we've got a uh, we've got a comment uh, first one uh, talking about the. It's uh, quite suitable and uh, just illustrates. <laughs> I think the last ten minutes of our conversation, which is uh, from JKL, who says um, he thinks that the Clofield paradox was a deeply cynical exercise in marketing that made us talk about how the film was released over whether or not it was any good, which it wasn't. That's, that's him. That's not me editorialising his comment. Um, yes, and he's, he's he raises a very strong point, but um, I think with cynical marketing, you can often also ascribe clever, because you know the point of marketing is to get people talking, it's to get mm. people watching, um, it's to you know it's to drive conversation about something, and and that is deeply cynical in its in its own right. Uh, and in that regard, I think the Cloverfield paradox has done exceptionally well you know i mean if it's remembered for nothing else it's going to be remembered for the way it was launched yeah and really being the first of its kind you know there are things that have launched on netflix and haven't Mm. really appeared anywhere else but they have had a little bit of critical fanfare beforehand appeared on the festival circuit we're talking about okja uh for example this was just teased to be God Particle, people yeah. sort of guessed that it was going to be the third Cloverfield movie and everyone was like, it's weird we've not heard anything about this, it's weird that we've not seen a trailer. Uh, and this is why, because they, they Beyonce'd it. Yeah. I think it works in the case of something like Cloverfield because it has precedent. It's a series that's built around misdirection, mystery and things like that. Um, and so if you do release a Cloverfield film, a film of that ilk, where the audience already sort of knows what they're... In yeah. for, then it, it works in its favour. And I think thematically it works in its favour. Um, it wouldn't just work with any old films like, oh, so and so's out now. I was like, so? Mm. It works because it's Cloverfield in the same way that, you know, it's the extension of what's been happening in the music industry with, with people like Beyonce, with David Bowie doing it. Um, so it's, it's, it's just a sign of the times. I think it's just a sign of the fact that people have instant immediate access to their media now yeah um and it used to take a lot of build-up because you used to have to get people ready to make the actions necessary like they had to go to a shop and queue outside to wait for the thing or something they don't have to do that anymore there's no inventory there's no seats there's no stock there's nothing Mm. they have to worry about in that regard you don't have to print covers you don't you know you have to generate certain materials but not to the same extent that you had to do yeah when there was physical inventory and so Clothfield Paradox is, I think, an interesting sign of generally where we're going with movie releases. I don't think we can expect lots of surprise releases, but I could, no. so I could certainly perceive that we're going to have a lot of truncated um, promotional periods versus what we see, you know, with the sort of insane build-ups for Star Wars films, Avengers films, etc. Well, Paramount have already come out and said that they still intend to release future Clothfield movies in cinema. Um, and they uh, their last part to uh, 
uh, hop back to JKL's thoughts. The move to Netflix, this is a quote, makes Cloverfield Paradox immediately profitable. Wow. So let's uh, let's um, take this as a uh, good place to stop and actually you're going to talk about the film itself. Okay. Um, what did you think of the Cloverfield Paradox? Well, I went into it with incredibly low expectations because I didn't jump on it the moment it was released like a lot of people did. Mm. And I didn't read any reviews in any sort of depth. I just you know, skated over the usual things. What's the Rotten Tomatoes score? Uh, went to my usual movie sites and had a look and see it, saw what they thought. And I was seeing like 13% Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah. I was seeing people saying it was franchise ruiningly awful. Yeah. Uh, the fourth Cloverfield film, which is already being shot, uh, had a lot of work to do if it was going to sort of bring it yeah. back. I didn't think it was anywhere near that awful. No, definitely not. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent, but you know, with things like Rotten Tomatoes, they, re, they reflect sentiment. But is it positive or negative sentiment? And if, you know, if you're going to say is Cloverfield Paradox a good film, you'll say no. Is it watchable? Yeah, it's very watchable. It's 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 pacey. It's vaguely entertaining. Mm. Um, it doesn't make a fucking lick of sense at all, really. <laughs> um, and it's really disappointed me um, in terms of what Cloverfield is right. and what Cloverfield represents. And I think that's the thing that annoyed me more than anything. Like as much as the film is very daft. Um, it didn't really explain itself sufficiently to to sort of warrant a lot of what happened on screen. Right. What irritated me most is that what I thought Cloverfield was as a as a series and what I'd hoped and enjoyed about it after Ten Cloverfield Lane um, was actually that it was not in any way connected at all. Right, I, I'm starting to really loathe interconnectivity yeah. in films. I don't like the idea that people have looked at the Marvel model and gone, everything has to be related. Yeah, The Marvel model works because it's built on decades worth of comics where characters occupy the same version of mm. the world and it makes sense to have created a cinematic version of that. Trying to shoot one the same into everything else is, is just lazy. And it's just and it's just them trying to sort of cash in on that model. Cloverfield for me was meant to be like the cinematic version of the Twilight Zone or the Outer yeah. Limits stories that um, maybe have some sort of thematic connection, yeah. but no direct connection. For me, the end of Ten Cloverfield Lane, which which I mean was very jarring and really at odds with the rest of the film, which was I thought was a fucking great I loved little it. thriller. I love the end of Ten Cloverfield um, Lane. Was still like, oh, well, it's an alien invasion. Hmm. Okay, that's that's they're in the bunker, and he wasn't telling lies. He was a nutcase, but he also wasn't lying about the shit that was going on out there. But I'd I'd never perceived the events of Cloverfield to be an alien invasion. I'd perceived it to be monster arrives and yeah, trashy shit, and it's you know Godzilla type territory. Not that the alien invasion and the monster invasion were in any way related. No, I thought that was they're not related. They're not related. Yeah. But are they now? That's the problem. That's the problem. The Cloverfield paradox. I don't think up. they are. I don't think they are. So I've taken. So uh, full disclosure. Um, Dan just has just finished watching. Literally in the in the spirit of the Alex way he stormed into my house I, just before I'd watched the end. 
and um, I uh, watched it yesterday, so I've had a few chances to kind of go through it. And I'm going to challenge you on the uh, on the idea of interconnectivity because it's something I is really interesting to me. Is that there are a couple of reads of it, yeah, that are in your sphere of it isn't. They're not connected. That none of the films are actually connected apart from the actual Cloverfield paradox. So. The first movie happens, um, uh, and where it's connected to this film is at twenty minutes in. Eighteen minutes. Eighteen minutes. That's in, the bit I've read. It's the it, the incident happens, and that's the monster. And the blackout occurs yeah, in the blackout occurs, um, and the only connection I can really see, and I could be missing something else here, is the only connection with Ten Cloverfield Lane is that he goes to a bunker. Yeah, like, and that's the thing. But I've, I've I've seen a lot of things. That, again, I've not tried to read too much into it, so mm. as not to spoil paradox for me. But they've said like they they are like the first film and this are directly connected. Like not just because the eighty minute thing. The director said that's an absolute weird coincidence. That wasn't even intentional. Right. Like that happened. Um, but the monster at the end is the same monster. It's not the same monster. Is it not? No, that monster is looks different. If you go back and look at those, they're two different monsters. First off, that monster isn't big enough to be because it's through coming the clouds, off the Delaware yeah, cloud, the, the Delaware coast is what he says at the end, yeah. and that's not where um, that's not where this the first movie takes place. It pokes its head up above the clouds, so we would assume Maybe that it's, it's a over different the, monster. Is it is a different monster? But I mean, if you look at the two of them side by side, the... so the the two kind of opposing thoughts on whether it is the same monster or not. Um, it, they don't look the same, but other people are saying that this could be a monster that's been there for a while and has fed and has slightly kind of grown. Right. But when you look at the two, it's much thinner. The uh, the original Cloverfield monster is a lot thinner, uh, isn't quite have the same mouth, and isn't as big. So right. um, so the read is is that this is another uh, dimension. Uh, separate from okay. the dimension in the first movie, and that Overlord, which is the new film that potentially could come out this year if they decide to do the same thing. That's supposed to be a World War Two thing. World War Two thing is going to be an, yet another strand um, because the uh, very helpful explanation that the scientist says that it can happen forward or or back in time. Uh, the uh, the yeah. paradox. Can that sounds like yeah. If dimensions open up, monsters and demons are going to come out. Yeah. Yeah, he was um, he was very well informed about the about he, re- the, he really uh, was wasn't he? I tell you what, I mean, this is considering the way that previous Cloverfield films have been promoted. Mm. I immediately checked the Twitter handle of yeah. that scientist. Yeah, and it's nothing. Right, right. I thought that is fucking lazy. Yeah, yeah. Like at least get your team on the case yeah. because so many people. As soon as you see a phone number or an email address, yeah, or someone's going to check it. Someone's going to check that straight away. And for a film that is so deeply rooted in having that degree of real life, you know, ARG kind of elements, I thought that was um, a, a real sort of misstep for something so basic. Because I was, I was immediately like, I, I need to go and check that out right now. So um, um, let me down. I will say, um, I, I, I did actually like it. Didn't love it. Mm-hmm. I'd say I have the same feeling as uh, as seeing one of the Philip K. Dick uh, Electric Dreams or a Black Mirror, that kind of thing. I don't feel as though I've been sort of gut punched by a, a feature film as such. Mm. Could be a result of the fact it's on Netflix, could be a result of all these kind of things, but I don't feel as fully, you know, I'd, 
after um, to refer back to to, to um, Okja Okja again, I did feel that I had watched a movie by the end of that. Yes. Whereas this one does feel quite like an of, a, of an episode of a of a like a sci-fi yeah. series. I just um, I just hope that the whole Cloverfield thing is that every film ends with. And then there were monsters because <laughs> that seems to be it now. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, here's a film where something takes place, like a, a sort of almost chamber piece where everything's happening in this like claustrophobic environment. The last mm. two anyway, claustrophobic environment. Then they go out, there's a big monster and it sort of leaves it there. And I'd, I thought that was a real sort of cop out at the end when he's like, don't send them back. Don't they know what's happening here? It was like everybody watching this already fucking knows what's yeah. happening on earth now. It, it it had absolutely no shock value whatsoever, right. and just that shitty reveal at the monster at the end was yeah. just like didn't didn't work who for you. Fucking cares. Oh, it kind of worked for me. Um, no, I thought that the um, it, I mean, it was very similar in tone to Ten Cloverfield Lane. That sort of crazy, we've got back and or we've emerged and oh things are actually as mental as we You know what it would have been feared. better is if the shuttle had come down and that monster had popped out and just swallowed it. And just eaten it Boom. completely. And that yeah, was yeah. it. I would yeah. have laughed at least, at least make the ending funny where he's like, Don't send that back and they're going down the shuttle. Yeah. Oh end. Gulp. Cuts a credit. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I was trying to think about the twist. Um, and again, I guess... Clothefield 4 could take place entirely in the cold Inside the massive... So the irony is all these have been in these claustrophobic environments. In the fourth one, they're inside a spaceship, inside an, um, inside the monster. Yeah. Do like an inner space kind yeah. of uh, thing. Uh, I mean, sort of talking and about... And it turns that, out that the monster's actually a microbe and they've been shrunk down to atomic level. And then they make him big and that's how you kill him. Um, talking of that kind of trope... So isms of sci-fi and I did feel that the f- beginning of the movie was very bogged down in the sort of the alien esque establishment of who are these characters who are these people I know this is kind of a horror film what I do know coming in here so I guess that the probably bad things are going to happen to them so you've got that feeling of how long does it take before you know they're going to die and am I going to feel anything for them by the time that stuff happens? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that it's particularly successful in that part. I thought no. Chris O'Dowd, did, some of his stuff doesn't really land. He's obviously there to do a job, you know, to to deliver these kind of, I don't know, what, that kind of American humour is of explaining exactly what's going on at the moment yeah. as, as a punchline. Yes. And I mean, I'm kind of now really getting over that like now. E- that, exposition, yeah. exposition is... Who's, yeah. the, who's the guy it's that does it, Seth Rogen and that, that, that really is explaining, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm losing my arm in the wall right now. That kind of uh, humour kind of is really starting to not affect me anymore. I sniggered, but nothing more than a... Because it was a light it's, relief. It's not really feel. a form of wit... Chris O'Dowd, I thought, was one of the better elements of the mm. film himself. I, I didn't mind his moments of, of levity, and I think his particular weird moment was the best and strangest thing to happen in the whole film. Yeah. Again, didn't make any fucking sense as well. Um, so I watched no. it, I watched the film with my wife, and I got her to just write her thoughts down. She's, she said something similar. She said, I thought it was very derivative of Alien, of course, um, but she actually said she thought it was better than some of the other ropey sci-fi stuff I've seen recently. Immediately name checks Prometheus and Covenant. 
burn. Um, felt very much like an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with her. I don't really understand why this film is so has been so lambasted. Yeah, because I mean, Prometheus and Covenant are very both very guilty of the same things. It's exactly really, the same, which things. are very intelligent people making very stupid, irrational decisions. Yeah. I don't know strange elements of of pointless exposition mm. that aren't required, trying to tie into a, a, a wider law, blah, blah, blah. It, it, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it was as unforgivably bad as those, as those films were necessarily. Mm. I don't, I don't see why this is getting such a hard time. Um, but yeah. And she also said that she loved she loved Mundy. That was Chris O'Dowd's character. Loved Mundy chasing his arm around the wall too. Although no no idea what that was about. <laughs> yeah yeah that was um, I thought the effect was really the good. effect was very was very clever worked really well uh, and I, and I think that was the problem. I, I can't remember where I heard this. It was somebody I was chatting to, and they said it was like a twelve rated version of Event Horizon. A lot yeah. a lot of sort of inexplicable things happening to a crew on a ship, and like are they going mad or you know, is 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 there is there a sinister force at work? Yeah. Um, and the the idea of dimensions clashing mm. uh, and weird shit happening as a result, I thought was a very intriguing idea, but it was executed in a sort of completely nonsensical way, and it was almost as if they were using that as a way to go. We're just going to have all these like slightly odd things happen. Yeah. Without ever having to explain why they're happening, so it's like, I mean, Chris O'Dowd has two of the most weird things happen to him. One is obviously he loses his arm, mm. and then his arm appears elsewhere and is basically thing from the Adams family, yeah, crawling around and providing a bit of light relief. Or the um, or that the Red arm. Dwarf episode, or the Red Dwarf episode, but but the arm is well cognizant, yeah, it doesn't have a brain, yeah. But it's somehow able to write warnings <laughs> about things. Yeah. All right. Um, You've got to allow it that. That was that, that was a cool moment. I thought that the him that, right, that trying to write so you, if you gave, if you give it more than a moment's thought, yeah, it just falls down completely. Yeah. But you're just like, oh, that was quite cool and it's quite funny. Like, hey, my arms sort of found Earth and lines yeah. like that. Were, you know, were actually quite. Funny. That was one of the better ones. Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know this idea that these two. People are coexisting in the same reality, in the same dimension. Mm. I don't know if they went far enough with that. It, um, there was like a hint that that was going to be a, a, a huge part of it, and it didn't really move beyond that. You know, the the main character um, Hamilton discovered mm. that she, her her parallel was down on Earth. Her husband was there. Her kids had survived yeah. this fire that you know that killed, taken her kids in yeah. her her reality. But there was no clash there. There was no. I thought the idea was it was like um, it was like a time paradox. You know, if you Back to the Future style, you know, if you mm. meet yourself and things like bad juju, bad things yeah. are going to happen. But in their reality, the ship had already crashed and burned, or landed in the sea. You know, yeah, which meant that none of the crew were about. So why on earth would elements of Chris O'Dowd's other dimensional half have any sort? Well, it wasn't of... from that dimension, was it? It could be from another. Another one, yeah, another one. Well, and then again, I, I I also find getting a bit sticky when you get into that like territory. It gets sticky. Jensen in the wall, fine. Jensen being 
make oh, it up. The, uh, the Jensen and the wall bit was the, one of the best bits yeah, of the was, movie. Yeah, it was cool. But again, oh, I thought that was, it doesn't make, it was a cool idea. I'm shrugging, by the way. I'm shrugging. This is a, <laughs> what? Yeah, really um, good podcast uh, mechanic. It's yeah. shrugging. <laughs> Audible shrug. <laughs> I'll just say that. We'll, we'll, we'll add a bit in yeah, post. Yeah. Just says, that's, that's the yeah. audible shrug. Um, yeah, and that's it. It's like it's, these, it's this string of sort of cool moments. What did Helen point out as well? Um, oh, Tam, Zhang Ziyi's sort of, yeah. who I haven't seen anything for ages, sort of wasted. Um, dies a very cool death. Yeah. But no idea. Like the room fills with water. Yeah. Don't know why. Chris O'Dowdle's ultimately killed because magnets. Yeah. <laughs> because magnets, yeah, because of interdimensional magnets. Come on, <laughs> everyone dies. I mean, you, I mean, you do have to not think. Russian man full of worms. Well, oh yeah, the yeah, worms yeah, are yeah, gone. Yeah, worms. Where are the worms? And suddenly, oh, the worms that are in the man. Gyro or something was in him, wasn't it? Yeah, the, uh, the uh, thing. Um, talking about sort of half baked. That's my that's my half baked. Uh, yeah, try not. That's to my think hyphenated about it. one word. To, you've got to take out. Like you've got to think about it. The specter of Event Horizon hangs over this movie yeah. like loads, and I will say I believe in every regard Event Horizon is a better movie in terms of casting, story. Yeah, you know, and even the look of 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 the movie. Um, I. And it, I just kept thinking about it, and that's obviously the worst thing you want yeah. when you're trying to get into a movie. It's like, oh, this bit, you know, this is when, you know, and th- there were some points where the che- the horror gets a little cheesy in Event uh-huh. Horizon, and here they don't tend to fully go into horror. They kind of keep it no. in an action-y, sci-fi, jovial nature that is probably one of my biggest problems with J.J. films across all of his movies. I kind of feel that he's very sort of relatively shallow. Um, uh, even though he didn't direct it, but yeah. I find that a lot of his stuff is very sort of, can look incredibly beautiful and really well cast and has the the Lindelofisms of appearing to be deep, but actually... Our paddling pools. Takes a little scratch, not very long, and, and you realise it's not really very deep There's at all. There's not really anything you know, else there. And as yeah. I say, that's why I'm saying it's, like it's, a, it's a string of cool things that happen, and beyond that, that's it's like the premise is built to serve the cool things happening rather than because they've got this fully formed idea of mm. what this interdimensional crossover actually means. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess even worse when it's it's regardless of what we say about the crossover or not, whether it, it is just a whole excuse to say <laughs> the reason the monster exists in Cloverfield because is because the Higgs boson particle. The end. Um, let's see what someone else had to say about it. So you know, a few every, everyone's a bit like us, really. Like James Fields in said it's not actually that bad. I wish I wish they'd hired a science consultant though. <laughs> uh, roughly on a par with Europa Report. Average. Haven't seen Europa Report. Overall, the idea of a wasted opportunity pops up time and time again. Uh, Daniel Brühl, in everything that I've ever seen him in, I'm a fan of him. Yeah. Uh, he's one of those people that just feels like... Rules, rules, rules. A little drop of class and everything. Like He kind of elevates mm-hmm. movies. Like Rush, in, in particular, oh, amazing, yeah. would have fallen apart. Like He, he acts um, Hemsworth off the screen every time they're together yeah. and even when you look at any um real footage of him uh, of uh, i just think he did an incredible job oh, he's like, even, louder yes yeah in in uh, it's a film in, that comes up a lot actually because mm. 
I really like Rush. I'm not a huge Formula One fan. And I no. think, I think if, if there's one example of a film where it's like you really don't have to like the sport to get the most out of that film, it, it's it's that. It's just it's it's such a good watch. It's such a good human story at the center of it. And I did not know the story of Nicolas right. and James Hunt. Yeah, at all. I didn't yeah. know about it. And it's it's fucking. It, it's one of those like you wouldn't believe it. Mm. You know, if if you didn't know it was true, you'd be yeah. like, "Well, that's a bit far fetched." <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, that, a lot of that is Ron Howard is so good at making things accessible, yeah. like the Apollo thirteen. You know, the way that he brought all those insane sort of stories together and made it coherent. Yeah. I think he yeah. is really good, and probably why uh, that he's been turned to for to Solo bring yeah. bring Solo in. Yeah, which we will talk. about. Batch a little bit later. Oh, will we? Um, in my in uh, in my plans, but um, so shall I go to someone who didn't like the film? Yes, please do. So uh, this is my uh, this is my friend and colleague Gareth Wild. I uh, watched it a few days ago and asked him for his thoughts on it. And his his top line was, "Why did they let a child write the script? And how on earth did it make it to production?" Mm. Good sci-fi needs to answer as many questions as it asks. Where are my answers? Also, how the hell did Daniel Bruhl get involved with such a bad script? <laughs> um, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I think it does give you answers. It obviously is the sliders, sliders Higgs, rule. It's the the Higgs boson. The, there's particles. The, 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 particle the, yeah, made the, it happen. This happened has obviously split it. I mean, it is an explanation. It's not yes. necessarily a great one. And it's like, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like because dimensions, the, the ex- is, yeah, exactly. Because dimensions yeah. is, is literally what it all yeah. boils down to. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how much more I've got to say about this film. It's, it's sort of, I think the biggest fault I can level at it is it just it left me really cold. I think what you said earlier about the it does a very bad job of making you care about anyone mm. on the ship. Um, Monk, the doctor who is too scared to cut open a body. Yeah. Prays a bit. Mm. Just stares blankly a lot. Yeah, he's really... He's like, really but tedious. Um, Daniel Brühl and Zhang Ziyi, the, the... They hinted at something there, a little... The Deutsch-Chinese you know. Deutsch couple who... I literally demonstrate no sense of real warmth to each other at any point mm. to the point that when she dies there is literally no emotional reaction yeah. from Daniel Brawl for the rest of the film like she's gone dead yeah. and he doesn't give a flying fuck yeah. so that was just like an uh, absolutely undercooked romance between two very strong actors very bold decision to let Zhang Ziyi talk entirely in Mandarin and have the cast talk to her in Mandarin rather than vice versa. That was one thing I thought was actually quite good. Yeah. And one of those classic things in the Blade Runner vein where they sort of go, you do realise ultimately talking Chinese mm. is going to be more valuable uh, a skill than learning English. But you keep going back to things and back to movies that have done it better, like Serenity and and Firefly yeah. handled that better. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah, it was, yes. And it was more woven in and more, you know, they referred back to... Back to the that language. Yeah, it was more like Zhang Ziyi couldn't do English acting very well, so no. they had to find a workaround more than that it made sense within the fabric of the film. So, <laughs> so yeah, you're right. I have I have entirely extrapolated that off a fucking fictional world. I've just I've got absolutely no insight to. But going but going to um, going back to to what Gareth was saying, 
the one, my last point before we... What, we why did they let a child write a script? Why did they, why did they let a child, child write, write a script, script Talking of children, I think it is now time to call an end to the dead child motivation. Yes. <laughs> Moving on as a, a, you know, as a, as a parent, as now, and I love movies as much as I ever did. I would consume movies when I was younger. I've carried on like just drinking in movies as much as I can. I've maybe watched three today, just on my day off. You know, with my I'm introducing Back to the Future to my son, and we're we'll go walking through those. Uh, my other younger son is insanely into um, the Lego movies, um, and I watched this one yesterday and. The motivation of characters now, it's, it's an interesting one. I've been reading a lot of stuff about how sort of sociopolitical ideals are now starting to be in our sort of mainstream films in, in that now conservatism, the idea of now that pretty much the conservative party and it's all of its forms runs the, the Western world yeah. now. Um, and uh, ultimately, one of their ideals is to look after the the one, the, to look after the the single person. And if you do well, then you know, then you'll be rewarded for it. Ultimately, yeah. um, oversimplifying massively, um, and uh, it's starting to be reflected in our in in games. It's starting to be reflected in movies about what's popular. And I wonder whether now this we now saving the world isn't enough for a main character you can't you very rarely will have a main character now that is just like oh i'm going to save the world because saving the world is a good thing to do when we have a president that doesn't consider climate change and those kind of things so now this kind of dead this dead child um for want of a better term to be um, fair you just have two dead children so they really have really really like and I just feel it's just so lazy, and especially now, as you know, it is a really easy open goal with me. Obviously, dead children. Obviously, I have children. Oh, this person must be really upset, you know. And now, when they're looking at children or a photo of children on the wall, they're going to be thinking of their dead children. Yeah. And I just feel that I kind of is this it now? Is this like? Have we now definitely crossed over the threshold where people just don't want to save the world because it's somewhere that's worth saving? Is it ultimately does that? Are we now all admitting now the world isn't worth fucking saving? It's not. Are we or all, all we are really doing is just working for ourselves and just being massively self-centered mm. and sacrificing. Yeah, it, it's sacrificing such, the greater good to you know. It's like fuck it, the world's going to be over. At least I'll be able to hug my well, dead children. Or, or that as long as the greater good aligned with my singular tiny yeah. good, then great. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll save the world then. But you know, <laughs> like if I don't know, it's just something I found particularly frustrating. And in this movie, as it's so heavy-handed in that, like going back to something like uh, no spoilers, but Manchester by the Sea. If you're looking at that kind of the way that it handles it in that way, is is something that's totally worth watching and engrossing and a, and, and and an incredible way of of dealing with mm. that subject. But just using it as a as just a oh as a plot device. This character, you know, the the, the Google Sheets version of what all of these characters are. If you go to the you know her character and it's like oh her children have died because of something she did and now this motivates her oh yeah so so that actually brings me to my one of my big problems with the film mm. as well 
is that um, Jensen convinces her to stay and go mm. in the escape pod to go back and warn her not family mm. that at one point there she's going to probably install a power yeah. cell in the house and it'll explode and the kids will die. I'm like, you do realise that you're about to send one of her best mates back to Earth. So if she was going back to Earth anyway... Do you not think it would be better coming from the mouth of her, who mm. already knows you and says, oh, by the way, I know something, yeah, don't yeah. do it, yeah. rather than your fucking doppelganger rocking yeah. up on your doorstep saying, don't do the fuel cell. Yeah, yeah. That, that itself made no, no sense whatsoever. Like, you couldn't have sent your mate down who was going down there anyway, who already knows the alternative yeah. version of you to deliver that message. I mean, uh, that, well, that I really, guess that, that really she was trying to... It was manipulation, but also yeah. she's a fucking scientist yeah. in you know, communications. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it really crystallised how fucking idiotic certain elements of that film yeah, were. Yeah, definitely. Definitely there are bits. And 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 sort of going back to the thing of a wasted opportunity is I thought that, you know, I could have seen... And, oh, you remember so, David Oyelowo was in this film as well? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. wasted. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's now, now talking it through with you, I did like it, but it definitely does feel like a wasted <laughs> opportunity and that I don't think anyone needed the new Cloverfield film. Maybe it could have spent a little more time in the oven. I'd just like to uh, apologise on pronunciation. It's David. Oh, yellow. Yeah, sorry, that was a fucking awful pronunciation of his name. <laughs> um, yes, um, yes. Your point then, just about um, it kind of being undercooked as a as a Cloverfield film. Mm. Um, as we know, Ten Cloverfield Lane was not a Cloverfield film originally, yeah. and that ending was shoehorned in to add it to that sort of. There's a monster because that's the twist ending of apparently every Cloverfield film there. Um, Robin Smith said could it have been better uh, being built from the ground up as a film in the Cloverfield anthology series or left apart from it um, the clever marketing around all three films at least gets them talked about and I'm intrigued as to the shape of the fourth film again are we now at this stage where the the method by which the film's released overrides the, the quality mm. is the point they're in, even if the third film is shit People are going, well, there's a fourth film happening. I wonder how they're going to release that one. You know, is everyone going to get a fucking jiffy bag at the same time? Are are Amazon (laughs) drones going to arrive at everyone's house simultaneously and beam it onto the wall of your house? You know, the way you remember when U2 forced our album on everyone on (laughs) iTunes? Is that what's going to happen? Force it into your brain. Or a bunch of those fucking terrifying Boston Dynamics dogs going to force open your door and project the film on your wall yeah. and force you to watch it with their little door holding things sort of holding you by the neck going enjoy this I certainly hope that Overlord is a Cloverfield film because otherwise they've ruined it for themselves so everyone's going to be now watching this movie I can't wait for the last be... minute where a giant monster <laughs> appears <laughs> yeah and everyone's like oh it's, clo- oh, it's Cloverfield. Cloverfield oh yeah it's all connected you know but it's in it is no it's not no that, that monster's fatter 
<laughs> that that hasn't um, you've not been pleased with that explanation reading? No, of no, no. I, I know I do, but it's just. I mean, that, that's that's what bugs me. Is like, if it's not connected, what's the point? If it is connected, what's the point? Like, it, yeah, there's, it's it's trying to build a law across these films that all exist in a vacuum. Mm. You very rarely get, you know, at least the original Cloverfield was trying to give you a sense of sort of the white. It was like an intimate portrait, but giving you a wider picture. Yeah. The subsequent two films have both been these self-contained pieces that allude to chaos on the outside occurring, but never giving you a glimpse of that chaos occurring. You know, you do see um, Hamilton's husband driving around. Yeah. But his reaction to what's going on is deeply undercooked until he's in the bunker and then he's just like, don't say that, don't, don't. It's like, why is he suddenly so fucking furious yeah, yeah, yeah. about this when previously he just hasn't expressed anything, like any degree of surprise or shock at the fact, you know, he's seen things that have gone down, but at no point is he going, oh, there's big fucking monsters everywhere, what's yeah. going on? He's just trying to find that that girl's parent. Mm. Oh, by the way, sorry, we haven't even discussed that. Yeah. What the fuck is that about? Yeah. <laughs> well, um... The kids, uh, the kid, he finds the parents. Just trying to remind myself exactly what happened. He finds the kid, takes the kid to a shelter. Yes. Manages to get his hospital where he works to get in contact with the parents. He does that successfully. Hospital exploded. Oh, someone at the hospital. But someone who, yeah, yes. Joe. Joe at the hospital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His mate, Joe. Yeah. Love that guy. Is that, yeah, love is that, that guy, Simon yeah. Pegg? Yeah, that must be Pegg. Okay. Yeah. Obligatory JJ. So, so his his arc is he drives around in a car. Yeah. Finds a little girl. Yeah. They have a barely formed relationship. Yeah. They go in. He says, "Can I use your bunker?" So somebody on the somebody phone. Somebody. They know. go. Is it Joe's bunker? Joe's bunker. Joe's bunker. Joe's bunker. Joe's. Yeah. Sure. I I don't need it. Yeah, because you do really need it, Joe. Mate. Why aren't you in the where, bunker? Where are you? Are you, are you in fucking bunker? Get in the bunker, other Joe. Bunkers. Gets in the bunker. Says, gets a text message. Says, I found the parents. They're really grateful. Then just goes fucking rag on the phone when he finds out that his wife's coming home. That that's it. That's his arc. So yeah. I don't know if you've done any reading into this, but who is Molly? Why is Molly? No. No, 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 I don't know about that one. My my wife again tried to look into this. She said that she thought it was maybe the little girl. It was that was um, was it Mary Elizabeth Mary Winstead Elizabeth from Winstead, yeah. from Ten Cloverfield? No, different name. So even then, when they had some kind of opportunity yeah. to tie it into wider law, they didn't. That entire aspect of was just a complete narrative dead end. Yeah, I don't know if it was supposed to be like. Oh, we find out that his kids are dead, so he feels compelled to reunite this kid with the parents. Mm. But it sort of it ends so it just it just fizzles. Yeah. There's, there's nothing undercooked. There's, I would have thought, it's oh, raw. maybe it's raw. Movie is raw. It's 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 bleeding at its yeah. at its core. Needs more time in the oven. Needs more time in the I oven. I think that's probably where I come down to in the end because I think it. I definitely... what, what if what if Molly? What if she was like? Henson, but mm. in the in their dimension, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know she knows him in that dimension because they're in the program. But She's in this older, one, yeah, because I I think those aspects of parallel dimensions are are more interesting because I I I always have this sort of one of these 
lay awake at night thoughts. People always say there's an infinite number of possibilities, mm. an infinite number of dimensions. And shows like Rick and Morty explore that with more imagination than films like mm. this do, which is 100%. like, what if everyone's going to fucking ask for a face? Yeah. You know, if there's an infinite number of dimensions, <laughs> that's definitely a possibility. But it's also the fact that there's also the minutiae. And that's what blows my mind is that in one dimension, everything is exactly the same. And I'm looking at a bottle cap here, yeah. but, but Evian bottle caps are blue. That is literally the only yeah. thing that's different in that dimension. Yeah. And then you think of the entire range of Pantone colors. There's a there's an entire range of dimensions where the only difference is is that Evian bottle caps bottle caps are a different color, and that's it. Yeah. Because there's an infinite number of fucking dimensions. Yeah. But it also stands to reason that the amount of variation that could occur in those infinite number of dimensions is so drastic that things just wouldn't resemble your mm. version of the of the world whatsoever. Yeah. And another so that's another thing that really winds me up about this film is that it's almost too in parallel. So oh in this dimension your kids are alive. Yeah. Are we are we supposed to believe that everything on a universal scale has mm. progressed in exactly the same fashion yeah, yeah. and that the only variation is this one woman hasn't installed a fucking fuel cell and this this ship that tra traverses dimensions has found itself in that fucking yeah, dimension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How lacking in imagination is that? Could have been so many different things. If all this crazy shit was happening because they were in the fucking crazy shit dimension, yeah. then I would have bought into that completely because People it's like, like sharks or something. This is the place where, yeah, you go down there, everyone's got a fucking shark for a face and, and all the walls eat your fucking <laughs> arm and turn it to a cognizant arm that crawls around and just yeah. writes shit on the wall. But what they write on the what they write is actually a big fucking lie and that's the yeah. twist. You know, ha, ah, you cut open your friend, there was nothing in him, ha, ah, I'm just yeah, a yeah, dick yeah. arm. You know, that would have made me laugh a lot. <laughs> it was just cognizant arms crawling around, just writing bullshit that made mm. you do really crazy shit, but it, they were just lying to you. That would make me laugh. But no, it's this just like half cut, fucking slightly different to our earth, the bollocks. Well, to try and defend it slightly, it's interesting that we are talking about this movie and the difficulty in explaining something very convoluted like mm. parallel dimensions. I'm watching the Back to the Future films with my five-year-old. He was nearly six. Um, and I sort of thought this would be a good time to sort of start introducing them to him. Yes. And he's watching them uh, and understanding the idea of going to the olden days and being in the present. And, he's, yeah. and he grasped quite a lot of why he would need to do these things. Um, but we watched Back to the Future 2 today, which actually does actually has a lot of heavy story to get through in terms of the intertwining timelines. Yeah. And obviously, um, Christopher Lloyd standing at a blackboard doesn't really didn't really work for him. He right, kind yeah. of was needed me to explain it to him. And I'm not saying that Cloverfield Paradox needs to be written so six year olds can watch it. Funnily enough, but Back it, to the Future 2 was originally subtitled Paradox, I believe. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's cool. Because I, I, I have a vague memory of being very young and reading one of the, you know, when cin well, the cinema still do have little magazines. Mm. I remember it saying they were filming Back to the Future 2 and 3 back to back, and Back to the Future 2 was called Back to the Future 2 Paradox. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I'd ever come across that word. So I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and that's how I found out what that paradox great. was. So because crazily ties into this, this the whole movie is about that and about them dealing with it, but also explaining it 
to you and as a you know when you're old you know I suppose you should be 12 or, or whatever really around that time when you're going to be get, getting every facet of of the movie yeah um it does explain everything to you and things do happen for a reason and there are things that even happen in that movie that it doesn't explain um like like in the first movie there's stuff it doesn't go to that it's the twin pines mall that he leaves yes and then when he's in the past he drives over one of the pines and then it just becomes and then later the... on it's lone pines mall. yes and that's something that they they is in the story they don't even refer to it's just something for it's you just to... a beautiful bit of incidental yeah. detail and that's that's what makes those films so good is is the little things like that what makes the back to the future films so good is they deal with a very complicated you know impossible scenario mm. but they keep the repercussions of it so tight and focused and you know they do these things of history repeating and things that are just done for comic value i hate manure except yeah. you know the fate of the tannins that sort of side of it is 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 kind of play for laughs and it works within the Back to the Future universe, but because they keep the focus of it so tight and they're not really dealing with the wider world, yeah. it's such an intimate tale ultimately across these different time periods that it works and they and they sort of deal with the idea of you know past versions and future selves crossing over and things being given to one or the other and causing all yeah. these paradoxes um, very very well. Um, but ultimately, with time travel, all you're doing really is affecting a linear stream, single a linear dimension. stream of, of of events in one place, in one universe, with a bunch of people. And by changing yeah. things, you know they do acknowledge if things are changed, then you don't exist and you fade out of existence. Blah. The problem with this one is it deals with something that's far broader, um, you know, infinitely more broader than mm. time travel. Is like dimensional travel, where you're not only messing with time, but you're also mentioning with the very fabric of fucking everything yeah um you know you're, you're traveling into unseen dimensions you know beyond the fourth fifth sixth mm. you know big big things and and you know to try and tackle it in such a sort of fluffy <laughs> oh, just sort of meaningless way it, it, it yeah it just grates i'm getting angry about the film the more yeah, the, the more, more we i talk discuss about it. it like when i when i watched it i was like ah. well but this I, is what happens this is what happens with a lot of these films i mean this is why people are like oh prometheus is all right but i just i remember sitting down after watching it and then as soon as i sort of drilled into it i got fucking furious about yeah. it um and this film is having the same effect on me because i think there's a world of potential there but mm. it was a film that seemed built to serve a law rather than the film that was just designed to tell an interesting and potentially really um, mind-blowing sci-fi story. Mm. And that really should have been the focus of it. Whereas this film is like an hour and 40 minutes of shit happening so they can go, it's the monster. Yeah, that's all it boils down to. It's all this other shit happening purely for that fucking fart of a reveal at the end. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm going to sound really a little dense here, but it feels as though that the law or the mechanisms of the story were there just to service the plot, and but the plot wasn't sort of inspired by it. I feel that there's a difference, that you're writing these uh, uh, mechanisms um, and the story exists within those mechanisms and is enriched by it. Whereas in this film, I kind of felt that it was slightly different is that 
all of the mechanisms of the law just served because they wanted to have a girl in a wall or just yes uh, just because yes. they I wanted think, to you know alluded, it's a different to this yeah. earlier which is exactly that it's like all the events do not serve the story the yeah. story serves to make those events happen it's just it's just an engine to drive the things mm. along to make those things occur you know r- reason or sense be damned it's just oh wouldn't it be cool if wouldn't it be cool this isn't it wouldn't this be iconic it's, it's an ongoing issue I have with films in general. I'm not going to go too deep into this. I think, for example, it's like what separates people who like The Last Jedi to people who hate The Last Jedi. Mm. It's because we're we're now at this point where a lot of people say they're fans of these films, but then they're not. They're fans of things that happen in them. And mm. regardless of whether they have any actual emotional resonance, whether they have any... Uh, motivation from a character standpoint yeah. whether it's something that that person would realistically do whether it's a point that, that that character would realistically hit the problem with most modern blockbusters is they are just a string of events that happen and people you know the characters are just there to propel the story from yeah. that explosion to the next one to make those things happen and and so people get angry with films when the things they want to happen don't happen and they completely lose focus of why they don't happen or why it makes sense that, that what happened is actually true to what a character would do in that scenario yeah. or you know the important things like what actually makes sense from a character standpoint what actually makes sense from a story standpoint as opposed to just a series of things happening for example why didn't Luke just come down swat away a bunch of lasers on the on the walkers knock them all down have an mm. epic jedi battle because that's not what Jedi can do. Like, yeah. if, if there's one thing the prequels did establish well, is that everything that they've been hyped up to be, yeah, they they weren't. They're, they're fallible mm. beings um, who, you know, if you do shoot your lasers a little bit faster, they'll still get hit. You know, yeah. and there's no reason why Luke Jedi would be any Luke Jedi. Luke Skywalker. Luke T. Luke Jedi. T. Jedi. The name's a giveaway. <laughs> why Luke Skywalker would be any better than them. He's mm. not any better than them. And he knows that. And he's like, if he went down there, he'd get fucking wrecked. Yeah. He's just one guy. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. problem is people have been look, you know, playing games like um what was the the two Star Wars games that came out with Star Killer and Force he was Unleashed. Force Unleashed, you know, and he's literally fucking crushing TIE Fighters and shit. Yeah, yeah. And people are like the last Jedi, why do force powers is like he's a fucking crush a TIE Fighter. Yeah. So it's shit like that. It's <clears throat> I did deviate into a fucking last Jedi rant for a bit, but <laughs> it's that point where it's just like People want just a string of cool things to happen mm. and they don't want a good reason for them to happen. Well, this is perfect because I was thinking about so how... this film encapsulates that method of filmmaking. But that's but that's what I'm kind of t- going to tie it back to is that J.J. Abrams and his sort of wave of popular filmmaking was supposed to be a reaction to that. He made his kind of... One of his breakthroughs was... Mission Impossible Three, mm-hmm. in which was reacting against Mission Impossible Two, which was made and is documented to be made exactly in that way. Um, John Woo and Tom Cruise sat down and they made a list of the things they said they wanted him diving through a doorway with doves coming out behind him. They wanted uh, a motorbike chase scene where Tom they, Cruise just wanted know, to be Charlie and Fat. Yeah. Basically, and then they had those all set out, and then they made a movie around it. 
you know, JJ comes in for the third one, hires an incredible actor, one of the great best actors of our generation as the bad guy. Rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace, RIP. Um, and the story was, you know, like way more involved, may way more sort personal of personal and personal. Yeah. And now we're at a point where he's now or potentially damaged the franchise with doing that almost that exact same thing. Obviously he didn't direct this one, obviously it was it was somebody else and it's weird to, to sort of feel like you're you know, he's not the only person responsible for it. But you would hope that you know, that he would have had input into yeah. where the direction of the... Um... I, I think I think that's... This is why I go back to the monster thing. The reason it annoys me that if Cloverfield Law isn't connected, why does everything have to end with a giant monster invasion? Mm. If if they are connected, why is there no consistency between the method of those monster invasions? Mm. It's like, either commit to saying that they're all connected, or please, if you are going to make this like the Outer Limits, the film series... yeah. Change the fucking record. Yeah. Like, it doesn't always have to culminate in some sort of huge earth cataclysmic earth event. You can just have some crazy twists. Like that film could have had, you know, Daniel Brawl, who the whole time was supposed to have been a bad guy or a, a traitor. Could have been a bad guy. Could yeah. have been a bad guy in the other dimension, mm. was professing his innocence the entire time. Mm. And so when Henson or Jensen, sorry, turned out to be the bad guy and everyone sort of knew because it was utterly signposted she looked like a fucking nutcase right yeah, the entire yeah, yeah. film um, if there was like, like a double twist where it was like aha he actually was yeah fucking fucking this up the whole time and was was trying to do something mm. that, that would have been a more satisfying ending to me yeah if ultimately, I would have used him more yeah would have used him more a bit of a bit of a like real end twist where you know the reason he didn't show any emotion that his girlfriend stroke wife who had whatever relationship they were died you would have gone, ah, it makes sense. He's a cold-blooded fucking killer acting in the interest of one nation, da 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 and this woman who thinks she's made it and brought energy back to the world, etc. Hasn't. Mm. She's just taken the bullet out. The guy's yeah. actually going to fuck it all up. Yeah. But no, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything that interesting mm. because it replaces it with a monster. That's all it does. That's all it ends with. And it's, it's, it's yeah, bitterly disappointing. Uh, we, should, we should stop talking about this. Should we have a final, is there a final thought? Um, no, I, I think I've given plenty of them. Um, it's a film that I walked out of, and when I say walked out of, from my living room to the room adjacent to record this, uh, I walked out of it feeling slightly indifferent, mm. and now I find myself being really angry about it. Um, but yeah, based on that um, thumb scale, yeah, it's uh, it's down. Yeah, I think so. Mm. First, first down. Um, uh, and cool. Um, I think we shall leave it there for that. I think um, I, another quick thing I'd like to talk about uh, quickly before we finish is the uh, little bit of news that the uh, Game of Thrones creators, the um, yes, two people supposed to be the, the most people. responsible for uh, for Game of Thrones, D.B. Weiss and I should have should have forgotten their names. They're just the, the two guys um, have been given a new Star Wars universe. Yes, uh, to work with. Um, apparently, unconnected to the Ryan Johnson or, or yep. main saga, or the uh, because Ryan Johnson's also been given three films not connected to the main saga. Right, six more films. Um, uh, yay, six more films. Um, Benioff and Weiss, David Benioff and DB Weiss. 
Um, and with that news, I will also interject with uh, a variety article that says 96% of the film's universe writers and directors are white men. Yes. Um, and so is this just two more white men getting their own stalls? Yeah, who, who infamously got into a lot of shit because I don't know if this show's still going ahead, but didn't they propose a thing that was like an alternative America? Right. Where the Confederates won or something like Ooh, that. Really? Yeah. And they got a huge amount of shit for yeah, that. Yeah. I think it was something on those lines. Um, well, with, with, with that, with that in mind, um, oh, and by the way, the 96%, the sole exception is, uh, Lee Brackett, uh, for fact fans, is um, who is a woman uh, who uh, also white um, who had a screenplay credit on The Empire Strikes Back, which is uh, thirty eight years ago now. <laughs> so it's um, been exclusively Come white. On, Kathleen, what are you white, doing? White and I, th- you know, yeah, that's probably somewhere, somewhere where I think that could be improved. Get on board. Uh, so I thought, putting on spot, I have a little list yep. here. Who should be the next people? That maybe should be given a Star Wars movie um, that would fit. Maybe that you think that they are. I can go through mine while you have a think of them. If or if you've got anyone that you think might be a good fit. No, no, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear what you have in mind. So, uh, first one, uh, another one, another white male is uh, Guillermo del Toro. I thought that he might come up with a decent Latino um, male. So he's yeah, sort yeah, of so, fulfills yeah, a yeah, suppose, diverse yeah, yeah, quotient yeah. somewhere. Um, um, Del Toro um, has a proven track record of creating uh, fantastic alien creatures. Um, Even if Pacific Rim wasn't great, uh, and I I thought actually Hellboy films weren't brilliant either, but at least he was very good at doing practical creeps and aliens. And Mm. um, I think he would be best suited to telling quite an intimate Star Wars tale. Something a bit different. Max Rebo, modal nodes, like yeah, documentary, rockumentary, size noodles. I'd, I'd leave that to Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest to do the uh, size noodles, <laughs> size yeah. noodles, and the Rebo band yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mockumentary. I'd love that. Um, yeah. You know, no, and I think I think Del Toro would have a lot to bring to the Star Wars universe. So um, that's what a second is uh, Denis uh, Villeneuve. Good, uh, kind of a bit of an easy one. Sorry, I just uh, yeah, I I, he, he would be. I love how you just good. pick more. Beardy or just white. Well, yeah, this is, I thought uh, you were going to like hit me with loads of like black one, and female. I've got one more white one before I move uh, um, to my... Uh... Denny Villeneuve, again, I mean, right now I don't think that man could do wrong. I've seen a few people I respect really shitting on Blade Runner recently and I just... I don't understand. I, I, just, no. I just think he is probably the most consistently excellent director working today. Very interested to see what he does with Dune. Dune. Um, Charlie Brooker. That's why I'm starting to move into slightly. Uh, no, weird. you know what? I, I don't know if I'd have him write one. I'd be interested to see someone like Kieran Gillen, who is an ex games writer who writes a lot for Marvel mm. and has been doing a lot of their um, the new extended universe yeah. Star Wars stuff. Right. I'd like to see him given a chance to actually script something cinematic. Another white male. Um, Char- Charlie Brooker. I have only said no. three white males so far. So. No, I don't know. No, no just no. Okay, no, great. No. That's fine. I don't know. Um, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, funnily enough, was tentatively lined up to lined up to do the Akira, the oft delayed, mm. frequently cancelled live action Akira. Yeah. 
um, which is now apparently in the hands of Taika Waititi. Oh, mm. okay. I didn't know that. Who's someone else I'd like to see do a Star mm. Wars film. That's great. I bet that was coming up. It, that is, um, it was coming up. I'll, I'll, I'll flip over that to... Uh, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Peele's a tough one because he's he, he's only done one film um, and it was admittedly fucking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I'd, I'd certainly like to see but, him. But, but the idea of putting him in the list is that they don't tend to go for massively successful directors. Typically, they kind of... It's somebody that's maybe had one or two hits. Well, very much like Ryan Coogler just yeah. with uh, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Steve McQueen. I, oh, funnily enough, I was going to bring up Steve McQueen. <laughs> Steve McQueen's Star, Star Wars, Wars film, film would just be harrowing. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think like what character I mean, it, absolute it would be about. But genocide of the Wookies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it'd like follow one really just. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be like the salacious crumbs. I've always wanted to do a salacious crumb movie. Yeah, but just he, a, he's definitely un, underappreciated. Just something really fucking grim and dark about what salacious crumb gets up to when he's not just on the shoulder of Jabba, you know? Yeah. Or like, just sort of has a wife and just you know, like, just goes home. He's like, oh, tough day. So yeah. Watch loads of girls dancing and had to do like people stupid, getting killed by the rancor. Had to do and, yeah. Stupid laughing all the time. <laughs> yeah. Hate it. Um, uh, moving on to a few, a few ladies. I don't know this is particularly interesting. Just kind of my thoughts. Um, Greta Gerwig, um, obviously Star the, Wars, the new indie darling, a you know, mumblecore mumble Star, Star Wars, Wars film. film with Noah Baumbach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Are you not buying this, Mister uh, Mister Investor? <laughs> I was trying to come up with like a squid and the whale type um, Star Wars title. It, it's uh, it's failed me. Um, and then Sith what, and I, the whale. Oh, yeah, no, Sith sorry, and, Sith and the whale. Yeah, that's good. That was good oh, enough. That was good enough. Poor. Um, uh, Dee Rees, the um, she was the director of uh, the very excellent Mudbound. I don't know whether you've I've not watched Mudbound, no, and uh, she did a, a really cool episode of the uh, the Philip K. Dick's Electric Dream. So has a. Um, I have not watched that. Oh my god. It's really good. good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. There's some that, you know, are not, they're, they're not all gold. It just gold, didn't seem to but... have the same buzz around it as Black Mirror. Like, no one talked about it. No. It sort of came and went. And I saw it's on all, all four, so I'll, I'll have to watch it. But Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Or, uh, you know, I know you're going to hate it. It's time, maybe it's time to bring George back. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you've missed one um, lady director. Who I think would be fucking smashing for Star Wars. That's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a great shout. Yeah, I think she'd be great. She knows. She knows. She knows how to handle action as well. And I think she could do. I think she could do something awesome with with Star Wars. So yeah, come on, come on, KK. Let's uh, let's have some diversity. I think it'll make. Would love to hear actually anyone who's listening's thoughts on. You know. Un- unconventional, diverse um, talent who should be attached to future Star Wars films that aren't sort of middle-aged white men. I think going back, going back to the idea of the Game of Thrones guys doing it, I think that you know they're probably going to be good movies. But my f- sort of final point about Star Wars is obviously looking forward to the the film in this part of the saga. I think it could be really good. 
but I just I don't know whether or how many movies I'm gonna be able to watch with Ray. Can can Ray kind of carry a whole movie forward? And unless Adam Driver manages to somehow be able to become the focus of the movies going forward. What do you mean? Like Ryan Johnson has nothing to do with the current trilogy. No, no, no. I'm saying just about the main thread, the main saga. Okay. You know, like what the future of the main saga is. I, I wonder, obviously I wonder what that is. The future I, lies out away from the main saga. And I have a disagree. feeling that's, that's kind of the point. I have a feeling that the next film is supposed to draw a line under that thread, yeah. at least for a very long time. Because if they've got six other films in the work, works at least, mm. it's either going to be the plan that they're going to alternate between those two trilogies and just confuse the fuck out of everybody. If they haven't done so already, yeah. A lot of people thought Rogue One was the sequel to a Force to the Force Awakens for God's yeah. sake, and didn't know what the fuck was going on. Um, you've got these standalones after Solo. Everyone's like, "I'll oh, do a Kenobi film, do a Yoda mm. film, do a Boba Fett film." So you've got that to plunder. I am far more interested in having trilogies um, that do deal with a completely different part of of that mm. universe and just. If, if only for the fact that it'll just get rid of a lot of the fanboy tedium because they're so connected to that main thread yeah. that if you just do something that's just so removed from all of that, mm. they just haven't got any anything to cling no. on to anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, None of that fucking nostalgia. Off none of the nostalgia is yeah. sort of tainting their opinion of stuff at the moment. It's just like you're talking about an entire galaxy you know, they got frustrated because Ray didn't have parentage that was like, your parents were the Kenobis. Shit like this. It's a fucking galaxy. You can travel to planets. You know, <laughs> if, if that was a connection on Earth, you'd be yeah. like, that's a bit, that's stretching it a bit. Yeah. Right? But in a place where you're, you've got access to thousands of planets and different systems for, yeah. you know, one character to go, you belong to this exclusive thread. Bullshit. So we, we need stuff that pulls away from that and, and, makes us realise this is part of a much, much bigger universe and not everything is fucking inextricably linked. It's yeah. it's a nonsense. Overlinking. Yeah, like Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson has my attention. I, yeah. I personally think he did a really, really good job with The Last Jedi. I think Great. his trilogy is great. Bernard Hoffman Weiss, jury's out. You know, that they, they built a very strong series off the base of some very strong source material. Um, and I think when they ran out of the source material, I think as spectacular as the last season of Game of Thrones was, it also lost a lot of the the depth of the, the character development and, mm. went, and went into full-blown spectacle mode. Don't get me wrong, I thought the fucking spectacle of that series was amazing. Yeah. But it then made me question, well, how good are they when they're yeah. not already working off very strong source material? Very interesting. Okay, cool. Um, that's, uh, and yeah, uh, as Dan said, would love to hear uh, anyone's uh, suggestions for a uh, who uh, yeah you you get a you get a trilogy and you, you, get, a trilogy. you get a trilogy yeah, yeah. just get one film like people used to do so like just dish it out fucking trilogies so yes i guess we are back on track with the next episode uh with the sort of personal shopper good times uh choice the reason we sort of deviated was because Cloverfield Paradox just came out of nowhere. <laughs> and, yeah. it was, and it's very interesting, as you've discovered. It's it's a film that's very interesting to talk about in the regard of its distribution, if not necessarily anything to do with its quality. But, it, <laughs> I, but I thought it was worthwhile to catch it while it was still at least lukewarm. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't something we're just going to 
throw out the moment it's there because we're just not that kind of super fast reactive podcast. But at, at least while it's still vaguely current, I thought you know we thought it warranted discussion. Yeah. But we would like to sort of, I guess, mix up the films that are going to come up on Netflix that are exclusive and Amazon that are exclusive. You know, we're very excited about mm. Duncan Jones's Mute. We're very excited about Alex Garland's Annihilation, which is. Um, exclusive I believe to Netflix outside of the US and is apparently just getting absolutely incredible reviews so we will be covering off those films but in between that we really want to get into those films that probably didn't get that much exposure uh, at the flicks and we you know we want to give them a sort of a, a new lease of life through uh, through VOD instead so yep next week I believe there's still the choice between good times yeah. and personal shopper so please uh, submit your votes for them and uh, help us decide what we're going to watch um, we did a little thing uh, last uh, last um, episode about um, making a few other VOD recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if you do you have any? Yeah, I just I just think I had a whole bunch of them stacked up. Oh yes, and, I remember um, now. And last time was Death Man Crybaby, wasn't it? Yeah. So I won't do another Japanese series this time, <laughs> of which there will be many. Of oh, which there will be many because I watched a whole bunch of crazy shit when I was ill, um, but. I'm just trying to think. I've watched quite a few recently. I'm going to recommend uh, Dark this time. Ah, Dark. Netflix series. Because actually, I think in terms of what we've been discussing this episode, if you want some of the deals with the intricacies of time travel Mm. uh, in an intimate way, uh, but in also a sort of very intelligent and character-driven and uh, just compelling way then then dark is the series to watch um is this the one that apparently you should listen to the german track not the English? oh yeah I, I didn't watch it with the dub i definitely yeah. watched it in german i mean and get, don't get me wrong it's it's so german it's so deeply german yeah but um it it has a great sort of central time travel device mm. i think i think in a lot of times a great thing that always the sign of a good time travel story is that they they make the means of time travel really fascinating right? Um, or intriguing or it's just suitably mysterious. And it's, and yeah. uh, I think the, I think this series does a brilliant job of, of making that central Ooh. an iconic sort of time travel location. Um, but it also weaves together different time periods really expertly. And it does a very good job of throwing a lot of information at you at the start that really overwhelms you, but sort of deliberately so. And just gets you into its world, and you're starting to worry like, how can I recognise who's this guy from the '80s versus this guy from the present day? Mm. How, do, how do I figure this out? But it, it's paced and delivered in such a way that when it gets to the point when it really does start to sort of shuffle between time periods, yeah, you're never left in the dark anymore. And it, it just it does such a good uh-huh. job of just gradually building to the point where you're you're totally on board with it. Reminded me in a way of how The Wire did it when you first watched The Wire. And you, you're not tuned into the the vernacular. You don't know who anyone is. Yeah, but by the end of it, you're so feet. fully immersed in it. I think Dark does a very good job of it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really ah, worthwhile cool. watch. Um, I am going to suggest something on Amazon Video. Uh, it is uh, The Founder, um, starring Michael Keaton. Oh, the McDonald's the, film about the McDonald's film about the Ray Kroc. Uh, he was the uh, chap that. Didn't invent McDonald's come up with mm. the first is the guy that came up with the idea of franchising based on book of the same name. Um, kind of uh, similar in ilk to um, Catch Me If You Can in a way. Okay. You know, the idea of 
having a movie about someone that's not necessarily a, or anti, even anti-hero is the wrong way. I mean, these people, the shit. Yeah, just a shit. And uh, Wolf of Wall Street in that regard. Find, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And finding you know, if you find that interesting, um, I can watch uh, Michael Keaton read the phone book. I'd ha- quite happily read that. I think I'm really glad he's having a bit yeah, of a comeback. He's at super, the super watchable. Um, and uh, his sort of continuing his sort of Birdman resurgence, sort of back with that, and then it was incredible in Spider Man, yeah. one of the best sort of actually connected to Daniel Brühl, who was a very good uh, comic book baddie, sort of humanized yeah. a character, very similar in that way, tying everything back. Aren't we really good and professional? Um, uh, I thought that his his uh, bad guy, in blue, blue collar villain, yeah, was blue collar vulture. Yeah. Um, the future, bring it back down. Stop making it uh, about these big, massive CGI. Black Panther again does a very good job of that. I saw that recently, yeah. and um, yeah, Marvel's on a good string of villains who have motivation that is understandable from a certain perspective. Mm. They're not just these blindly villainous. I want to fucking take over the world. Yeah, watch it burn type characters. They're people who've got motivations that you know through one. You know, quirk of fate have gone down one path, mm. and they could have so easily gone down the other. And um, yeah, I think Michael Keaton and now um, Michael B. Jordan in yeah. Black Panther are, are really—they're really hitting the mark with with good, memorable, and sympathetic villains. Like these people have finally read the Watchmen, yeah, and found that like you can have a good, a good bad guy, yeah, and in in all senses of that word, good, good bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, this is a haven't seen, uh, but very interesting to see is that uh, Netflix has now uh, taken the um, Last Chance You uh, format, which was a sort of a short form documentaries about American football and, yes. and American sports teams. They've done, very very good personal to me, they've done a Juventus documentary oh. called First Team, which is a three-parter. Um, it just happens to be my football team. But yeah, really interested to see what they do with that because apparently there will be other teams they'll do it on. But I haven't watched it, so not. Uh, but just yeah, just a little uh, very interesting uh, to see. Um, Wait until the uh, forty-eighth series when they finally do wolves. <laughs> when they finally do wolves, <laughs> it will happen. But um, and then with that, I'm going to uh, say thank you very much to you guys all for listening. Um, if uh, you have made it this far. Um, let us know what you thought. Let us know what you think works. Let us know who you think should get a Star Wars film. Um, what you whether we should do um, a personal shopper, the uh, um, or good times. The, um, um, thank you very much, Dan. No problem. Um, for um, for joining me again. Um, I I really wanted to try and do a film that we kind you know that not just a film that we know that we're going to like i was really interested to see about that you know rather than being sort of doing a pile on or doing a you know or, or just hating something for the sake of it i kind of wanted to see what how it would be in this format of podcast with a movie that well this is why so one, one part of the manifesto that's in our manifesto but not the public one is that we we are attempting to record these within 24 hours of seeing the film and i guess a lot of what you're hearing is us as is the goal of the podcast is mm. us kind of processing our feelings about the film in real time so they're not necessarily the most coherent thoughts you're going to hear but <laughs> as you saw from my increasing rage about the Cloverfield paradox that's exactly what happens sometimes when you when you discuss films and 
once that sort of surface enjoyment of something has, has passed and you really start to analyze and pick apart mm. what you've seen, it, it can really alter uh, your perception and enjoyment of something. And I think um, it, with last week's show with Elle, yeah. it served to just heighten how much I really fucking like that film. Yeah. Um, and in this case, it really served to highlight how what a fucking train wreck this one was. <laughs> so <you> bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, everybody. Um, and um, hope, to, hope to hear from you and uh, look out for the next episode. Coming in hopefully a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. See ya.